Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we're going to talk about our sleep and why it's important and why we need it and how sleeping enough or not sleeping enough can affect our endometriosis and our pain levels and our symptoms and our life and our mood and our pain and our pain and our pain. Uh, are we on a, stuck on a loop? I think you said pain three times there. <laughs> And if you say pain three times in red sparkly shoes while tapping your heels together, <laughs> nothing happens. <laughs> you have to get out of the heels and crawl into bed with a heating pad. That's what you have to do. <laughs> Don't be fooled by the heels. <laughs> there are no magic powers. It's, it's not, the heating pad that has the power. And it's not Bloody Mary in the mirror. It's just blood. It's You sprayed blood everywhere. <laughs> get in the shower. <laughs> well, if your name is Mary, then it is Bloody Mary. <laughs> Okay. Lucky Marys. <laughs> they got a built-in joke. <laughs> so that's what we want to talk about today is our sleep. Good old sleep. The unachievable dream. It's not a dream. It's a nightmare. It's not a nightmare, Brittany. It's torture. <laughs> it's not torture. It's just completely impossible. <laughs> Why is it so hard to sleep? Because we're so tired from not sleeping that we can't figure out how to sleep. That's why it's so hard. No. <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about sleep and why sleep is important and how sleeping or not sleeping affects the body. And the reason why we're going to do this is Brittany has a really, really hard time sleeping. She has struggled with insomnia for most of her life. I'm very tired in this moment. It's okay, Brittany. It's okay. <laughs> Brittany once told me that when she understood how important sleep is to the body, it helped her really try to prioritize getting enough sleep. And I thought, God, that was really wise of Brittany. We should do a whole <laughs> podcast episode about that and let Brittany talk all about it. <laughs> the topic of sleep is so large and all-encompassing that we are going to take a couple of episodes to break it down. So today we're going to talk about why. Why, why, why. And then on our final episode in this sleep series, we are going to give tips on how to have optimal sleep. And there are a lot of tips. There are so many tips. But I think before we give the tips, it's really important to understand all of these background information about why and how and when. All right, Brittany. So since this episode is dedicated to you oh. and your insomnia <laughs> and your me. lack of sleep that oh. you get on a daily basis. Well, I just make it sound so great. <laughs> Yeah, it's luxurious. Isn't it wonderful, Brittany, yeah. to have insomnia? Because then you get back all of your time. Oh, yeah. I have so much time. Well, yeah, sure, Brittany. I mean, if you only sleep four hours a night, you get all that time to be productive. You get all that time to do 
things? Are you doing all these things in your free time? Is you, are you like, do you have all these hobbies and projects and volunteer work and books that you've read? And Well, usually I'm so exhausted by not sleeping that the time I am awake is spent just trudging through life, wishing that I could sleep so that I could actually do anything. So no, I'm not more productive. I'm actually way less productive. When I was in my mid-20s, I always had a to-do list, like a really, really long to-do list. And I loved doing things on my to-do list. I loved being busy and I loved being productive. And now I have learned that being busy, busyness can be a form of self-distraction. So the same way that like when people are under stress or when people want to run away or distract themselves from their feelings, they might watch TV or they might eat for comfort or they might do drugs or drink or have another unhealthy coping mechanism. I actually realize now looking back that my unhealthy coping mechanism for dealing with endometriosis and all the feelings that came up that I just did not want to confront was being busy. So I was a busy, 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 which is so like different than I am now, but I was so ridiculously busy. I was so busy that I felt like I didn't have time to sleep because I had this to-do list and I wanted to get it done. I would sacrifice my sleep in order to stay up late to get more things done on my to-do list, which was a never-ending. I'd cross off three things and I tacked on like 10 more, you know, like, ooh, I have to go do this thing and I have to investigate this thing and I have to figure out this thing. And it's just funny looking back at that time in my life, like, I was so stressed out all the time, and I remember just constantly complaining to my partner at the time how stressed out I was, how busy I was, how I never had time for myself, how tired I was, how exhausted I was. It sounds like you're perpetuating a self-cycle there, where you're so busy that you don't get enough sleep, so then you don't get enough sleep, and so you're so tired that you can't do everything productively and efficiently, so then you have to stay up, and wow, that's a really toxic cycle that you put yourself in. But you're very different now. And I think that's really interesting because you really value rest where you clearly didn't at that time. But I also understand why you didn't at that time, because I think in our society, it's really valued to be busy and the amount of tasks you can accomplish in a day and the amount of places that you go and the amount of things that you get done and how productive you appear to be and how many things you can tick off that list. That's what's valued. It makes you feel successful. Mm hmm. And I think it makes you feel productive and maybe in a way it can make you feel important, like not within society, because like it's not important to society if I clean my fridge or organize my emails, but it made me feel like maybe important to myself. Ooh, I'm so important. I'm so busy. I have, I have all so these... much to do that I'm so important. Yeah. <laughs> also, the measure of success is societal. So when we see people who are rushing around, you know, I have to bring my kids to these three places, then I have to go do this meeting, and then I have to do this conference call, and then I have this business sale, and then I have this other thing with my child. It's like this never-ending laundry list. It feels like, wow, you have so much going on. What an accomplished and successful person. And that's also societal. But on the other hand, when you're so exhausted that you're not able to do those to your full capabilities, I think it can also be stressful because you're trying to catch up because you're so tired from trying to do so many things. So you're very different now than you were then. And you value sleep, like I said. You value rest. You value recuperation. You value putting those things ahead of all the things you need to do. And that doesn't mean you don't get things done, which I think is really the interesting component, is that 
you do so many things like running a podcast and having a full-time job and having other hobbies and side projects, but you're much more intentional with what you spend your time on. And the result of your work is just extraordinary. Whereas before, if you were doing 20 more things, you may be spread too thin and would do things halfway rather than half of the things all the way. Well, it's funny because I feel like now, like you said, because I prioritize getting enough sleep, I can get more done in a shorter amount of time. And what I get done gets done better. Like I put out a better quality product in terms of my work like at my workplace or the podcast, the book that I'm publishing. And it's funny because like you said, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off anymore. I'm not exhausted all the time. Like if I'm working on the podcast, like if it's Saturday and I'm like, okay, I have these plans for my morning that I'm going to work on the podcast from 8 to 11 a.m. And then at 10 a.m. I find that I am having a hard time. Like I'm tired. My eyes are closing. Like my body hurts. Then I'll be like, okay, pause on the podcast, go get in bed, take a nap for 30 minutes, which ultimately turns into like an hour and a half. Because um, it's so fun. <laughs> full to, cycle. It's so fun to nap, especially if it's like sunny and warm and the kitties come lay wow. with you, which of course they do. Must be nice. Oh, God. About the kitties? <laughs> Thank you. About the naps. <laughs> I think it's also really useful to note that there's been multiple studies, I mean, hundreds of studies on sleep. And One focus of those studies have been how we focus and how sleep affects our ability to actually perform tasks and survive throughout the day. And our brains can't focus for 16 hours a day. They can't even focus for like three hours a day. They need breaks because our brains need to actually have rest time in order to be more productive. So if you go for 12 hours a day, without any breaks, without any rest, you're actually going to be running on fumes for the majority of that time. Rather than if you just took 30 minutes to take a break, your brain power would reinvigorate itself. But we just go, go, go. We're energizer bunnies. We never stop. And as a result, when we finally crash into bed, we have fitful sleep because we're not taking that time to calm down or come down from our day. And as a result, we don't get things done as productively as we could or in the way we'd like to do them. And it's this perpetuating cycle that we have. So resting is important for doing a good job in every aspect of our lives. So I know that now from what we just said, it sounds like sleep is the most beautiful thing in the world. It is. But that if you get wonderful sleep, you're going to have the best life ever. The birds will be chirping in your ears, frolicking through the glen. It will always have sunshine, but with rainbows in the sky as well. Oh, wow. With a pot of gold at the end. It's always that the perfect temperature. To. Oh, geez. Without needing any kind of air con or oh, heating. A it's slight just... breeze, just making your hair move if you have long hair. It's just beautiful. And everything that you eat will not make you sick if you oh, get enough wow. sleep. Wow, yeah. that is, that is, a it is world. It's magic, yeah. <laughs> sleep is... We're all Disney how do, princesses. We're all like, how do we get enough sleep? I want that. <laughs> we're all in a fairy tale. <laughs> so if I sleep enough, I can eat cheese with no consequences? Wow. That'd be your miracle world. Oh my, where do I go get the sleep? <laughs> where do I buy it? <laughs> so yes, that may be what we're making it sound like. But there's also times where you sleep and you sleep and you sleep the proper amount and you still wake up. And it feels like you didn't sleep at all. And I can attest to that because I'm still struggling as somebody who has trouble with sleep, sleeping for the proper amount of time at the proper amount of time and waking up feeling like I was running a marathon all night. But for me, I had to learn that 
when I just said, oh, whatever, forget it. I'm just not going to sleep. I'm going to stay up until my body passes out. I would be so much more tired the next morning. So sometimes I just have to lay in bed and I just have to stare at the ceiling and I just have to be calm. And even that rest for my body makes a big difference the next day. Because when I wasn't, when I was up or just reading a book or walking around or doing something active, my body told me that it was not pleased with me. But just laying in restfulness and calmness, even if I got the same amount of sleep or a little bit more, a little bit less, I had way more energy and my days were better. And sometimes there's times where you can't get adequate sleep because your body's just not letting you. But it's still important to make that a priority because even just resting the proper amount of time can have a massive effect on how you feel the next day. This is what I love. When you are so tired, you're actually so, so exhausted. That you can't sleep? That you can't, like, for some reason. Because there's a kind of exhaustion where you're so exhausted then you, like, pass out. Yes. Like, especially if you were, like, doing exercise or something and, you know, you had a day where you went biking or something. Then normally I feel like, okay, I'm your body's tired. It's like, okay, I'm in bed. Boom. Pass out. But sometimes you're just so exhausted that you literally toss and turn all night long mm-hmm. in exhaustion and pain. And your eyes are burning and your body's <laughs> throbbing and you're just like, why? I'm so tired. Why? Or you're in a flare and you're tossing and turning all night with pain insomnia. The best kind of insomnia. <laughs> or the worst. <laughs> that was sarcasm. Maybe. Or you might be in menopause and nearing menopause or on a drug like Lupron or Alyssa or another Janarite drug that puts you into a kind of menopause, as oftentimes lowered estrogen can cause insomnia symptoms. And that's exactly what's happening to me right now. Thank you, giant endometrioma, for stealing my left ovary. And so the insomnia partially due to the relentless hot flashes in the wee nighttime hours where my partner snores away as I feel like I'm suffocating from heat. Well, I'm joining Brittany's club. Oh, the impossible to sleep no matter what you do club? Yeah. No. I don't like it. Well, I welcome you as a new member. And your t-shirt with the logo Sleep is an Unachievable Dream is in the mail on its way to you. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) I'll not sleep in that t-shirt and I'll just get really hot and sweaty and then sweat inside of it. Yeah, that's exactly what we do. (laughs) (laughs) Then you walk around pacing your home for hours and hours and trying to find other ways to distract yourself from the fact that you can't fall asleep and it's an unachievable dream no matter what you do. The t-shirt's very cozy. It can double as a night shirt. I don't say sleep shirt because we don't do that, but just a night shirt. (laughs) Yay. Oh, joy. Menopause is amazing, (laughs) isn't it? It's like you trade one thing for a bunch of others. (laughs) What do you trade? Oh, just like not bleeding from your vagina. (laughs) That's it. hmm, I almost would rather have that and have the sleep than so like (laughs) bloody sleep than the like non-bloody sleep. (laughs) It's like a grab bag. There's a bunch of symptoms in one bag. It's like, you know, a prize bag. You just reach in, you grab one. Oh, look, I got insomnia. Okay, now here's the give up one. Oh, I get to give up wouldn't hip it pain. Be, wouldn't it be great if, like, when you went in the bag, though, you couldn't get something that you had in the past week? Yeah, that's not how this works. No, it's like, oh, I had that yesterday. And then on the bottom of the card, it's a little asterisk. It's like, take another card. You're like, no, no, I have one. I don't need another <laughs> And card. also at the bottom of this bag are spikes. And it's just, it's not a Ooh, great when you grab stick bag. your hand in, there are scorpions. Yes, absolutely. That bite your hand. This is the kind of bag. 
My favorite's also when your period is coming and your hormone levels are changing and you're like, all of a sudden, I'm wide awake at 3 a.m. That's a really great time. That's always how I know my period is coming. I'm like, I cannot sleep. I spent the last two nights tossing and turning, waking up like 10 times to go pee. (laughs) My period must be on the horizon. (laughs) What a great precursor. (laughs) So we get that sleeping is really hard. We get that it can be really hard to feel rested with endometriosis, and it can be really hard to feel alert and energized. We love the joke like, yeah, sure, I could sleep eight hours, but I would still wake up exhausted from having endometriosis because the endometriosis is in there causing me pain, causing inflammation. The body is hard at work trying to deal with having these lesions and tissue that shouldn't be inside of the body. And so having endo just automatically, I feel like, makes you incredibly tired. Fatigue is a huge, huge symptom of endometriosis that most of us suffer from. And I've talked about this before, but prior to excision, I had huge problems with fatigue. Most of that has gone away since I had excision surgery. But for 16 years, if I didn't get enough sleep, I would be exhausted. And if depending on what I ate, I would literally pass out like half an hour after eating, especially olives. It's also a strange kind of pass out to witness. It's not like, oh, I'm sleepy. I'm going to go lay down. It's I can't keep my eyes open. I'm stumbling over. I'm going to fall into the bed kind of pass out. It's very intense when you have that kind of fatigue. I'm sure you all can relate to how debilitating that fatigue can feel sometimes. You know what I feel like they should have, Brittany? I feel like endometriosis should have five stages instead of four stages. We're adding a fancy fifth. So you'd have (laughs) stage one through four, Mm -hmm. which is like the staging system that we have now. And then stage five. Ooh, tell me more. Stage five would be that you're so incredibly fatigued that you literally turn into a zombie. Mm. But stage five wouldn't be a permanent stage. Like you could cycle in and out yeah, of stage I could five. Unzombify somehow. Yeah. Like if you got enough sleep, you would get out of stage five and you would drop back down to stage, well, whatever stage you're at. You can go from like one and then five or two and five. Okay, you know, you so don't I can like, go jump around. Exactly. Wouldn't that be amazing if you could be like, right now I'm in stage five because you're just so (laughs) tired you cannot keep your eyes open. I have a classification for my utter and complete exhaustion. (laughs) That sounds great. I'm sorry I can't perform. I'm at a stage five, which means I'm a zombie and I eat brains. I mean, I just haven't slept. (laughs) Have you seen The Walking Dead? Yes. Yeah, everyone in The Walking Dead had endometriosis. That That makes so much sense. Exactly. That's where all the zombies came from. That's also why they were so angry. I get it now. (laughs) They were in constant pain. Of course they were running around trying to get relief. They thought brains gave it to them. I mean, it all connects now. I get it. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of myths and misinformation out of endometriosis. So I could see a huge population of people believing erroneously that eating brains could cure endometriosis. Therefore, when they became a zombie in stage five, they would go eat the brains. Mm Mm-hmm. That makes that series All way right. more entertaining. We're going to go ahead and pause because I'm going to crack open Brittany's skull. <laughs> Whoa. I'm going to eat her brain because she's very smart. Okay. So if I want to eat a brain, I'm going to definitely eat Brittany's brain. Over, <laughs> this is like, scary. I'm going to leave another. <laughs> yeah, because we just said eating brains cures endometriosis. Yeah. Or you can't have mine. <laughs> That's a myth. Perpetuated myth. So we've talked about how wonderful sleep is. And we've talked about how horrible It can be sometimes to try to get sleep. Maybe most times. Um, Practically all the time. (laughs) Unless you have chronic fatigue, then 
you just sleep all the time and you have no control over when you fall asleep. Oh, yeah, that does not sound fun at all. Yeah, you're like, oh, we're having a conversation. And she's asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be confused with narcolepsy. This was different, but it kind of felt like... You didn't have control over when you fell asleep. I definitely did not have control over my eyelids during the time that I had the hardcore chronic fatigue. You should have taken the weights off them. (laughs) It's not a good accessory. (laughs) So we know how beautiful sleep can be and we know how difficult sleep can be. But what actually happens when we sleep? All right. Well, this is hilarious. But scientists used to think that you slept because you were sleepy. Wow, science. Good job. Why is water water? Because it's wet. (laughs) Good job, science. Why do people sleep? Because they're sleepy. (laughs) To me, it's just so typical. It's like wrong and simplified assumptions until better research comes along. We sleep because we're sleepy. (laughs) Oh, well, you have endometriosis because the uterus is leaky. Oh. (laughs) Did you just hear? Was that a haiku? Wow. Was that? Did you hear my poem? That was a beautiful Even though it didn't quite (laughs) rhyme, but it was very like, you sleep because you're sleepy. You have endo because you're leaky. (laughs) It's a beautiful couplet. But now we know that retrograde menstruation is not the cause of endometriosis, just like we know that we don't sleep because we're sleepy. Why do we sleep, Amy? Good thing I get enough (laughs) sleep before recording this podcast, otherwise I'd be all, why are we sleep? I don't know. My eyes are closing. Amy requires me to get proper sleep on Thursday nights before we record on Fridays. She will message me, make sure you go to bed on time and get enough sleep because we have to record tomorrow. <laughs> and I take a nap at my desk cubicle under the desk at 1.30 on Fridays during my lunch break so that we can be sharp. I spend a quiet half an hour before we leave the office to make sure that my brain is ready. So we try very hard to be here and present for you all. So let's talk about what sleep does for the human body. Okay. All right, so one of the things that the body does during sleep is that it repairs itself, which I could see being a pretty useful task, you know, going ahead, repairing any tears in your muscle, repairing your bones, repairing your organs, restoring your energy. Oh, the energy that we love and talked about at the beginning. We love energy. Give me energy, please. I'd rather have energy than money. I agree with that. Oh, God. Time is money. So when you don't have enough energy or time to do anything, lose money. So I don't want the money. I want the time and the energy. (laughs) I want the energy. (laughs) So basically, your body restores itself during sleep. So we really need to get that good sleep in order to repair our bodies. Because they get all worn down during our lifetime. and They get all worn down during the day. Then we have to repair ourselves. Like little robots. Little androids. I like that. Our body is our machinery. One of the other things that improves while you're sleeping is your immune system. I mean, all day our immune system is working really hard to stop us from getting sick and keeping us healthy. Sometimes when I feel like I'm getting sick, sore throat or something's feeling off or I'm feeling extra out of it, like, okay, that means I got to get in bed as soon as I get home. And I sleep, and I actually feel so much better the next day. And I swear that sometimes I feel like that's how I fend off some early signs of the cold. 
Because when you're sleeping, your body has time to heal because insomnia can make you way more vulnerable to getting sick. And not getting enough sleep can increase inflammation in the body. Oh, people with endo, that is not what we need. And we all know with endometriosis, we have a lot of inflammation in the body. And having lack of sleep cause more inflammation than we already have. Like, why add to that fire? The inflammation fire. The infla fire. The fire mations. Infla flames. <laughs> Something else really interesting that the brain does while we're sleeping is actually organize and process our memories. And this can be something that happened recently, or it can categorize things that happened longer ago. But often what you do right before you sleep can make its way into your dreams. So if you watch a scary movie or you have something excitable happen right before you go to bed, often your brain's going to process that and deal with it. And that could mean some not so good dreams. I never, ever watch scary movies before bed. One, because scary movies should be watched with the daylight and the shades (laughs) open. But two, I've also noticed that if I watch something scary before I go to bed, that I will have nightmares about it or I will have like really fitful dreams or fearsome fearful dreams so yeah i personally really protect my mind space when i'm getting close to going to bed like if i see my partner and i are gonna have a fight about something and it's like an hour before bed i'll just be like hey let's talk about this tomorrow because i just i don't want any like bad feelings or bad vibes before i go to bed And he's always like, you're so weird around your bedtime. You never want to watch thrillers and you never want to talk about serious things. I'm like, yeah. Because I'm going to dream about it all night. Yeah, (laughs) because your brain, when you're sleeping, is going to organize all that stuff. It's going to process it. It's going to put it in the long-term memory, perhaps. So I don't want all that stuff there. Like, yeah, I want flowers and sunshine. Little bumblebees (laughs) sleeping in the flowers under the sunshine. Even though they really sleep at night, so there would be no sunshine. But, <laughs> but still, for the sake of Imagination story. <laughs> over here. <laughs> I think that's really important to also remember that because your brain is organizing and cementing and categorizing all this information. I remember in college, a lot of people would say, well, I'm just going to study all night and then I'm going to go take the test. And I remember even when I was in college being like, that never works for me. And it wasn't until recently that I learned It doesn't work because your brain doesn't have time to actually categorize that information. So when you stay up all night doing something that needs memory, you're completely ineffective because your brain doesn't actually have time to categorize and imprint that memory in itself. So all-nighters aren't helpful. Sorry. So it's best to study and then go to bed. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, and on that note, the brain cleans itself during sleep. Ooh, squeaky. Yeah, it comes in. It's got a little vacuum Scrub cleaner. Brush. Yeah, and a little toothbrush to get those hard-to-reach angles. <laughs> All those lobes, you know, it's got to <laughs> brush around them. <laughs> All those synapses. But basically, it restores its synapses that are, you know, firing all the information all day long. So it restores those synapses after they're being stimulated all day long with learning and thinking and listening and seeing and all those little brain highways need a little bit of downtime and a little street sweeper (laughs) so it's kind of like that so every single night you know the big trucks come 
The workers dressed in yellow, fluorescent yellow. (laughs) Or whatever color of your choosing. It's your own brain. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, then my workers are all going to be wearing pink skirts. Oh, I love it. And they're all going to be bumblebees. Oh, of course. Naturally. Bumblebees with pink tutus. (laughs) And they're all going to be wearing high heels. Yes. And they're going to have crowns and they'll have ones that are rainbows. Yes. I already know how your brain works. Oh, and they're going to come and they're going to clean my (laughs) brain highways. Oh, beautiful. Thanks, little honeybees and pink tutus. (laughs) As someone who's still learning how to get my optimal sleep, something that I've been trying to improve on with my sleep is understanding that when I don't get enough sleep, I'm often on the edge with my emotions. So what I mean by that is it's a lot harder for me to curb my angry outbursts or when I feel frustrated about something. It's really hard for me to not burst into tears in the drop of a hat when I haven't had enough sleep. When you're not getting adequate sleep, it's much harder to regulate your mental health, including your emotions. And so because I'm learning how to get my sleep better and more regular, I'm hoping to also be able to better take control of my mental health. There have actually been many studies done on the connection between sleep and mental health. In one of these studies, which was called, quote, severe sleep deprivation causes hallucinations (laughs) (laughs) and a gradual progression towards psychosis with increasing time awake, end quote. Oh, my. That's the name of the study? Wow. Yes. That's pretty indicative of what the study's about. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear what it's trying to tell us. (laughs) That's one of those titles you're like, do I have to actually read the study? I think (laughs) I get it. That's the best kind of title for a study. Honestly. And then you're like, oh, too long, didn't read. (laughs) Didn't need to. (laughs) Saw the (laughs) title. Totally got it. it (laughs) Didn't even need to go to the abstract. I just got the title. We do read the study. (laughs) We read the whole study. We're kidding. (laughs) Shoot, I gave all your secret. No, just kidding. (laughs) No, we read the whole study. We read the whole study because it was actually really fascinating. And after we read the title, we were like, hmm, I wonder, I wonder how it's going to go. It's like a mystery. No, it wasn't. It was very obvious. And it, it did go exactly how the title said, but it was really cool to affirm what it actually meant because this study looks at 21 studies about sleep. And it found from these oh, studies. I love studies where they join all the studies and get like the overarching <laughs> it's like, Let's group them all together. Give them a big hug and see what they all mean. <laughs> So this study essentially was saying that, quote, perceptual distortions, anxiety, irritability, depersonalization, and temporal disorientation started within 24 to 48 hours of sleep loss. Wow, that's so little. Yeah, that's one to to two days. Wow. Followed by complex hallucinations and disordered thinking after 48 to 90 hours of sleep loss. Wow. And delusions after 72 hours, after which the clinical picture resembled that of acute psychosis or toxic delirium. Wow. By the third day without sleep, hallucinations in all three sensory modalities were reported. A period of normal sleep served to resolve psychotic symptoms in many, although not all, cases. End quote. Oh my gosh, that is so serious. It is really serious and kind of shocking at how little the amount of time it takes for sleep loss in order for these effects to happen to us. Well, I think it just keeps showing us the importance of sleep in so many body processes. And especially, as we were saying, like in our brain health and our mental health, like sleep helps refresh our brains and rest our synapses. And I mean, to have these studies that show that with just a short time of sleep deprivation can lead to these very serious mental health symptoms like 
perceptual distortions, anxiety, irritability, depersonalization, disorientation. And then with longer time, hallucinations, acute psychosis, toxic delirium. I mean, the symptoms that we can present with sleep deprivation just continue to get more serious with the less sleep that we have. Something else that was also really interesting to me that this study pointed out. Oh my God, more? There's more. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Quote, studies also show that many psychotic episodes are preceded, if not precipitated, by prolonged insomnia. End quote. And I've worked in the mental health field before and meeting people who have dealt with acute psychosis, knowing that that could be what precipitated their episode. That kind of put it in a new light for me because I personally struggle with anxiety and with insomnia. And to recognize that my symptoms are worsened when I have a lack of sleep was really illuminating for me and also a little terrifying for me because it's a a cycle. I have anxiety and I can't sleep. And because I can't sleep, I have anxiety. And that cycle kind of continues. So it, it really brought to light a lot of information for me. And it also helped me to understand that when I'm having severe anxiety based off of a lack of sleep, to understand that that's what it is, is more than just the superficial symptom. Not having sleep also sucks. <laughs> so there's more more into it than just having the severe anxiety or just having a lack of sleep. They can precipitate or lead to each other. I think a lot of us can relate to the fact that you know, after just one night of no sleep or very little sleep, we do have things like anxiety, irritability, perceptual distortions. Like maybe I know in my case, I'll be talking to someone and I'll be like, I feel weird. Like I'll be talking like my voice feels weird around me. Like I feel weird. I don't know. I I don't explain it. But sometimes I'm like, I feel like I'm in a dream. Like, am I really here? For me, a lack of sleep can indeed lead to these things perceptual distortions, of course, to dizziness and irritability. I mean, there's no good thing that comes from that. (laughs) That just definitely, definitely describes me after a night of no sleep. Anxious, irritable, and having perceptual distortions. When I'm fatigued, like I think when many of us are fatigued, when many of us just haven't gotten enough sleep, when we're exhausted, It is so difficult to not be so cranky and so irritable and like something goes wrong and you get so frustrated and you snap at people and you have outbursts or maybe you have uncontrollable crying. You know, it's harder to mitigate your stress when you're feeling really, really tired. Like things feel like they're much bigger deals than they are. It's hard to find solutions. Well, and not only that, but there's also a higher risk for depression. It's also really hard to focus. You're at way more risk to get in an accident or have an accident. I mean, I can remember times when I haven't slept well and I'm driving. One minute I'm driving, the next minute I'm like, I don't remember those last five minutes that I was just driving. That's so dangerous. And that's something I've heard many people say. Your reaction time is severely limited when you're exhausted. So even if you were paying attention, your ability to react is super cut down because Your brain isn't allowing your body to react in enough time because it's too tired. Well, they do say that driving tired is like driving drunk. Drunk, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Your memory is impaired. Your ability to perform is impaired. Your ability to focus and have control over your mind, body, and emotions is impaired. 
It leads to so much difficulty with just regular day-to-day activities, never mind when you have something compounding it like endometriosis. Oh, God, now I am freaking out. I'm like, <laughs> please, I have to get enough sleep tonight because if I don't, I'm probably have an angry outburst and break a plate and then my boyfriend will be like, why did you break that plate? And I'll be like, shut up, I hate you. Well, <laughs> and then I'll start it- crying uncontrollably and then I'll go at a knife and I'll throw it at my baby kitty. Whoa, okay. Whoa. <laughs> That's not going to happen. But I'll miss because, because you're going to get I'm, enough sleep. I don't have enough focus. And I <laughs> also your reaction time. And my, is yeah. And I'm clumsier. So <laughs> and I'm not able to concentrate. So I'll, and I'll throw it. And it'll like it'll like graze. It my, won't even go anywhere. It'll just it'll drop like right graze my hand. boyfriend's head. I'll be like, no, no, I swear I was throwing that at the cat. Like, I have no idea how that came. Actually, I've you. seen her throw things when she's completely well rested and she has terrible aim. So this would not be surprising. <laughs> I almost broke Britney's TV once <laughs> trying to throw the dog's toys. In the so. opposite direction. <laughs> it came out of my hand. I'm, what do you want okay. me to say? I know. That's okay. why you're banned from throwing There's things in my house. There's arthritis in these hands. I mean. <laughs> so the last thing we want to talk about. Best for last? Nope. I'm scared. Here we go. Is that a lack of sleep can increase your levels of pain. Okay, no, no, no. I don't want to hear about the increase. I just want a, a decrease. Can you? I then don't. Then you better sleep enough. Because oh. if you don't sleep enough, you're going to get, most likely, you're going to get the increase. Well, how does it increase my pain? I'm fascinated. I need to know. Okay, I will tell you. Basically, your pain is this amazing dance. The cha-cha, perhaps. Ooh, a samba. Ooh, mm. a swing. Ooh, a good merengue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and go with a swing. Okay, okay. So your pain is this really amazing swing dance, this 1950s swing dance. Everyone's wearing these big flailing skirts, chunky heels. Actually, I don't know what kind of shoes they were back in the 50s. <laughs> Kitten heels, probably. I imagine shoes that were deemed, like, not very... Proper. <laughs> yes, they couldn't be, like, too sexy. Shiny like, Mary Janes. <laughs> no showing your toenails in the 1950s. <laughs> Long skirts with poodles on them. That's the right era we're going for, right? Aww, with little bows in your hair. Oh, that's cute. Okay, let's bring that back. That's cute. <laughs> okay, so the cha-cha dancers of your pain are basically sending like your... We're actually going to do a whole episode about pain because I was learning about where pain, like how our bodies feel pain and why we feel pain. And it is the most fascinating, complex thing I have ever learned about. And it is incredible how there's all these different factors that can affect our pain. So of course we have endometriosis and of course we have pain because of endometriosis, but then there are things that we can do that can affect the way that we feel our pain, which is like, wow. So I could maybe do some things that could hopefully have an effect on decreasing my pain. Decrease. That's what I want. See, Brittany, decreasing or increasing my pain, depending on what I do. So basically, in a nutshell, or inside of the skull cap. Oh, the skull cap. <laughs> I don't know what you're... Just the skull is fine. <laughs> it's like a baseball cap. You just put a skull on. That's terrifying. <laughs> Gruesome. Okay, so the short version of this is that the brain plays a huge role in how we feel pain. And the brain, depending on different factors, can cause us to feel more pain or less pain. That makes sense because it's actually our brain that tells us how we react to a stimuli that could cause pain. It would make sense that there's other factors that can sway how the brain actually interprets those sensory reactions in more or less pain. I never thought of it that way. 
wait until the episode we do on pain because it's going to be really, really fascinating. But yeah, like you said, it's these stimuli and then the brain interprets them. And so basically there are different parts of the brain that are involved in the pain process. And so if you don't get enough sleep, then it can boost activity in certain parts of the brain. And then if you don't get enough sleep, it can suppress activity in other parts of the brain. So what it can do is it can cause us to feel the signal of pain more intensely than we would normally feel it. Guess what that means? Increase in pain. That's right. That if we don't get a proper (laughs) night's sleep, we can feel more pain than we would have felt if we had just had a proper night's sleep. You know what's weird? (gasps) What? Sometimes when I don't get enough sleep, I have this old injury from when I was a kid where I broke my arm. And sometimes when I don't get enough sleep, it hurts. Well, guess what? Is that weird? No. Okay. Okay. First, I'm going to tell my personal experience. Then I'm going to tell a study. And then I'm going to tell about the brain. Okay. So I don't have to feel weird. So we're going to start with me. As we always do. Duh. Okay. (laughs) As this friendship does. Duh. Okay. So Brittany said her wrist hurts when she doesn't get enough sleep. I've noticed when I don't get enough sleep that my fibromyalgia completely flares. I notice if I don't get enough sleep, I have all these tender spots in the body. So first of all, my whole body hurts. And then my biceps, my calves, and my, shall I say, gluteus maximus. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Your glutes. (laughs) My glutes, like, which is so funny, but they get really, really painful. Feels like they have bruises. And if you touch them, it kills as if they're bruised. And then I get sleep, and then that pain goes away. And that always happens if I don't get enough sleep. Like if I get like six hours instead of eight hours, I will have that full body, not only aching, but like I said, those like tender pressure points. Okay, now I want to know the study. Give me data. Give me answer. Give me research. Okay. It also has to do with fibromyalgia. So anyone listening who has fibromyalgia, one, it's really hard to live with fibromyalgia. Two, it's really painful. Three, an internet survey. Of 2,596 people with fibromyalgia showed that insomnia was a common trigger for flares. <gasps> the data speaks. <sighs> I wasn't in the survey, but I should have been. Then I could have been number <laughs> 2,597. Uh, three away from 2,600. That's so frustrating. <laughs> oh, well, three listeners can write in and let us know if the same thing happens. <laughs> if they don't sleep enough, does it trigger their fibromyalgia? And also, even people who don't have fibromyalgia report that when they don't get enough sleep, they have more muscle soreness after playing sports or they have their old injuries that flare up just like Brittany. Like my wrist. Yeah. Bri- See, you're not a weirdo. I mean, you're a I weirdo. I mean, I'm weird, but, like, but not for that. <laughs> some studies have suggested that lack of sleep can contribute to central sensitization where a person has more pain with less stimulation. Something no one wants. Gosh, no. (laughs) But that's basically where your body becomes more sensitized. So the signal of pain turns up in your body. So it's basically like, let's say you had an old stereo. Oh, and then, yeah, you have an old stereo. And then you have all those swing dancers from the 1950 in their poodle skirts doing the swing, but without showing their toenails. So it's a record player, not a stereo. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> we got to go era, full era. Yes. Okay, so the record player has the record of the, what was it, the 1950s? Elvis? <laughs> Playing, but really the volume is turned down really, really low. Like 
in actuality, the volume is a little higher than a whisper. But the wiring between the record player and the speaker is broken. And someone installed a really, really thick wire when they just needed a regular wire. So they installed like a car cable back there. So this huge wire. And so even though the volume is truly at a whisper, it's a blaring through the speakers. That analogy is kind of like central sensitization. Like the actual sound of the music, the sound of the pain is quite low. But the brain or the speakers is taking it as if it was really, really loud. That makes sense. And I think another way to think of that is a common phrase like pain threshold. And a lot of times we say my pain threshold is really low or my pain threshold is really high. Well, when you don't get adequate sleep, your pain threshold actually changes. So the stimulation of the pain is exactly the same, but your threshold has now changed. And that's why you may experience it more intensely or less intensely. Oh, like in those experiments where it's like, you have to hold your fingers in cold water and see how long you can keep them in the cold water. Don't try this at home. They're like experiments about pain. So they put the fingers in the cold water to see how long it can last. And then they have to do it under different conditions, like Mm -hmm. when they're exhausted or when they're stressed out. Yeah, or when they've like had a fight with their spouse. And then they find that their pain threshold lowers. Extremely lowers, like markedly lowers. Because really, we have the best pain threshold when we're well-rested and when we're in a good mood. Mm-hmm. So the last thing I want to talk about is something when I, well, I still am struggling with sleep, but when I was at my worst struggle with sleep was cognitive behavioral therapy to help myself fall asleep earlier. The American College of Physicians said that the first-line treatment for insomnia should be cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia with a qualified clinician. Oh, CBT. From the research that I've seen about that, it's like sleeping pills oftentimes are a Band-Aid. So sleeping pills are not going to help the root cause. And I mean, if you have such bad insomnia and you're just like, I need to take sleeping pills because I need to sleep because I am not sleeping at all and I am falling apart. Yeah. I mean, by all means, we all need to do what's right for our body in the different moments of our life. And so sometimes it's really, really helpful to use sleeping pills. But many times when we stop taking the sleeping pills, we bounce right back to having problems with our sleep or problems with insomnia. And the cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which many of us didn't even know existed, like before Brittany told me she was doing that, I was like, that's a thing. (laughs) That can actually help with the habits and the patterns and the different ways that our bodies are inhibiting our sleep and causing us to have insomnia. So the cognitive behavioral therapy that Amy is referring to is something I was trying to do to help myself fall asleep earlier. I noticed that I was not able to fall asleep until around 2 a.m. I would just lie there with my eyes wide open, wired awake until about 2 a.m. when I would finally be able to fall asleep. And that wasn't giving me adequate sleep because for my body, I need about seven and a half to eight hours. So I said, okay, I got to find a way to close the gap and add some more hours of sleep. What this cognitive behavioral therapy is, is actually not getting in bed until it's time for your sleeping. So you're teaching your brain to associate bed with sleeping. My problem was that I was getting in bed at 11, but I'd lay there until 2 a.m. So my brain thought, okay, well, we don't sleep when we're in bed. We just lay here wide awake. 
mean brain. So I started getting in bed at two when I was ready to sleep. And week by week, I would push it 10 minutes earlier. So I'd get in bed at 1.50. I'd get in bed at 1.40. And trying to increase the amount of time I was sleeping, not lying there awake, but actually in bed sleeping. And it's been about a year and I'm at midnight so far. Getting so close. (laughs) Wow. You already pushed back. So you're getting two hours more sleep per night than you were getting. Yes. I'm at about midnight, kind of where I'm at right now. And that's just by making sure that I'm only sleeping in bed and that is training my brain to associate bed with it's time to pass out. So it's working. It's just really slow process. But I think two hours is a pretty big improvement. Well, there's more to it, too, like changing the way I think about sleep and insomnia, learning to actually relax. Still hard for me. (laughs) Very hard for Brittany. (laughs) (laughs) And working on my worries and my frustrations around my actual sleep. And that's very important for sure. Because every time you go in the bedroom and when you see the bed being frustrated, like, yeah, it builds up this anxiety. Like, I know I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to sleep. And then I have to torture let that go out. It's just it builds up and then I'm all in a tizzy and I can't actually sleep because my heart rate's up and my anxiety's up oh, and God. my knees are weak and my palms are sweaty <laughs> and just things aren't going well. Like, and that's all just from seeing the bed. Yes. <laughs> but not after CBT. <laughs> Thank you, CBT. <laughs> of all the things, and I mean all the things. All the things. So many things. So many things. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> I like being serenaded. So of all the things all that the I've things. tried. Okay, I'm done. That I've tried <laughs> for my insomnia. There, you can have a little musical moment on insomnia. Go ahead. <laughs> Just keep going. Okay. So of all the things, no singing, that I've tried for my insomnia, which I've had for years. Years. And years. <laughs> Amy's losing it. She's just having a very musical mind right now. <laughs> Amy needs to step out of the box. While Amy I needs to become well rested. Amy is clearly Amy's not. The effects of lack of sleep are getting to yes, Amy. Yes, that's fair. But for years and years, I've also had lack of sleep for everything. And I've tried so many things to try to fix that and help that. And cognitive behavioral therapy has given me the most sustainable and long-lasting improvement. It's not just something temporary. And the next night I'm struggling again. Over the months that I've practiced it, it's been long-term improvement, not just temporary. And I'm actually getting tired earlier in the night, which never I would never feel tired. I didn't understand the concept of feeling tired. And so it's just been a really great long-lasting improvement. And it's a practice, and I'm still practicing, and I'm still improving. But it's not something that just was temporary and stopped one day when I didn't take a pill or do an exercise. So that's why I recommend it so highly. That is a really, really good improvement. And I know that's just like one aspect of the cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Like there are other things that you do throughout the day with your food, with the mealtimes, and then trying to like wind down before bed and then also trying to like get out all those pesky thoughts and all that anxiety that, you know, can keep you in bed and just spinning the thoughts. But all those different kinds of tips that can be really helpful for whether you have insomnia or not, like just having a really stellar bedtime routine and the way that you wind down your body and you wind down your mind. That's something that we're going to talk about in the episode that we give about tips for having great sleep. I hope that if you're listening to this episode near your bedtime, that it's helped you wind down 
and that after this episode, you can actually get some good sleep. If you're not listening to this episode near bedtime, listen to it again near bedtime. (laughs) (laughs) So we can help you wind down. We'll sing you a lullaby. So we talked about a lot of reasons why sleep is really, really important. And so we hope that like learning all of that has done for us, it's made us feel really passionate and motivated about why we want to get enough sleep and to really, it can be tedious to do the cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Wow, that is a mouthful. (laughs) But it can be really tedious to take these steps to try to get better sleep and to do some of the tips we're going to mention in the sleep tips episode. Sometimes it can be hard to find that motivation, that drive on top of everything else that we're doing. It's like, oh, now I have to think about if I'm getting enough sleep and I have to like fix my sleep environment, I have to wind down and I have to make sure I don't eat by three hours before bed and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like one more thing that we have to do on top of all the other things that we have to do in our regular life with our work and then taking care of ourselves with our endometriosis. And it's tiring. And we get that. So we don't want you to be like, you heard the episode and you're like, oh my God, now I'm so afraid that if I don't get enough sleep, (laughs) I'm going to die and I'm going to have this happen. There's no need to be worried and scared. Because that'll definitely not help you fall asleep. Mm-mm. Like, you'll be in bed and you'll be like, if I don't fall asleep in the next 10 minutes, I'm not going to get eight <laughs> hours. And then you'll my, never fall asleep that way. My fibromyalgia pain is going to be worse. And then I'm going to have impaired memory and then I'm going to crave carbs. <laughs> and it's not a way to live. <laughs> no. So it's good to instead to use this information to feel driven and motivated and empowered. Like, hey, I'm going to take working on my sleep off the back burner. And I'm actually going to make it a priority and I'm actually going to put it on the, not the front burner. I'm going to put it on the cutting board. Oh. Yes. And I'm going to chop it with a knife. Oh, my. We went violent again. (laughs) I just remember vaguely that I said I was going to throw a knife at my cat. Yes, you did. Well, that's because I was really (laughs) tired when I said that. And like we said, when you are tired, you do things because your brain is impaired. So... We'll give you a pass on that. Yeah. Scratch what I said because I didn't actually, I would never do it. So I really like what you said about taking the sleep and putting it on the cutting board because something that really helped switch my perspective about sleep because I felt like I was powerless. I couldn't do anything to help my insomnia. Nothing I was doing was working. I felt really frustrated. And when you have a disease like endometriosis and everything feels like it's out of your control and you feel powerless to the pain and you feel like you can't control anything that's happening to you, I saw just taking tiny steps to improve my sleep as one small area that I could control. And I mean, making sure I always performed my bedtime ritual. I could control that. I could control the time that I wound down, the time that I put my pajamas on, the time that I had my little routine and ritual. That's one of the tiny things in my day that I felt like I could control. So it gave me something that I could reclaim and make my own. And that's really helped me to be motivated with my sleep and not see it as something that I just have to deal with, but rather something that I get to work on because it's one of the few things that I can actually do something where I'll see a result. And that was a really big deal for me. We're so proud of you, Brittany. It's really hard to have insomnia and to get through the day and to work and have the podcast and to have all the health problems. And have you. I said these things are work, not blessings. Excuse you. 
But it's really hard to do all of these things running on not enough sleep. And I'm just so glad that you were able to figure out ways to start getting more sleep. It's a work in progress, but it's in progress, which is the most important thing. And it really only started happening for me when I realized how important sleep was. And I really made that a top priority for myself. Oh, sleep is on Brittany's cutting board. It is. Oh, well, there's cheese on my cutting board. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And then my cat's sitting near the cutting board like, Mommy, I love cheese. I'm like, don't eat cheese. Cats cannot have dairy or they get diarrhea just like Mommy. don't eat that. (laughs) (laughs) But we want to thank you so much for listening today. We hope this episode has given you some things to think about. Maybe you learned something new. Maybe sleep is now also on your cutting board or maybe it has been for a long time so maybe you're like we need the next episodes to learn how to actually cut the cheese we're all standing in the kitchen whoa (laughs) (laughs) well that's what's on my cutting board we're not cutting cheese (laughs) we're standing in the kitchen with our pillows at the ready and our sleep on the cutting board and we need to know how to chop you can say chop the cheese (laughs) (laughs) all right join me in chopping the cheese And you can come chop the cheese with me. I'll be chopping some Z's and Amy will be chopping cheese. I love it. Brittany will (laughs) chop the Z's and I'll chop the cheese. (laughs) And the cat will chase some bees. Oh, awake bees, not the little fuzzy little bees. By the way, my cat has been stung by a bee three times. Because cats love like moving little little hunters. Bugs, yeah. And she's like, oh my God, what is that? And then she'll... She got bit in the mouth by a bee. It's an ouchie bug. <laughs> oh, and then her mouth all swelled up. But she's not allergic, so Aww, she was fine. But her mouth baby. like swelled up and then like drool was coming out. And I was like, you <laughs> look. a good look, honey. You kind of look a little ugly. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> all swollen mouth. But she got better in like two days. She slept a lot. Poor baby. And she, because she slept so much, her immune system helped her repair oh. her broken mouth. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness for sleep. So thank you so much for listening. If you want to reach out to us, we are on Instagram at in16yearsofendo, and we are on the website in16years.com. And we'd also like to ask that if you love the podcast, please go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. It really helps other endo warriors find the podcast and know that it's valuable so that they too can listen and learn and laugh and Join our community. I was just about to see that. I God, steal it from I you. hate when Brittany is well rested because she's like, she <laughs> takes the words out of my mouth. We want to be friends with more people. Oh. So thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next time. 